I want to read one verse of Scripture that will form the text for all that we talk about today. It is found in Acts chapter 13. And it is one of those verses that I know has been there since the day that Luke wrote these words down. But I promise you, I never saw them until two weeks ago. I know they had to be there, but it's the Holy Spirit must have come in and gotten my attention or something, or maybe it just slapped me in the face and told me to wake up and see it. But Acts chapter 13 and verse 36 says, For when David, after he had served God's purpose in his generation, fell asleep. When David, after he had served God's purpose in his generation, fell asleep. I want to talk to you about the kind of attitude that it takes to be on a team. What it takes is the attitude of a servant heart. I read a story of Father Vaclav Mele that was the hero of the Velvet Revolution, the fall of communism in Czechoslovakia. And in 1989, he walked the streets of Prague with 800,000 people filling the streets who had never heard him preach without restraint or restriction. And they screamed his name and shouted his name. And after a while, a reporter got a hold of him and asked the father, Do you think you're a hero? And the father said, No. A hero is one who does something he is not required to do. I simply did my duty. I want to talk to you this morning not about being a hero, but about doing your duty. Doing what God has called you and I to do. Chuck Colson has said the temptation to be glorified instead of glorifying God is frightening. Do you remember when Paul said, I am free, but I have made myself a slave to all? He said, to the weak I became weak. And he said, I have become all things to all men that I might win some. I think the problem in the church today is defined in the letters that those in the military will understand. It is that too many people in the body of Christ are AWOL, absent without leave, absent from attendance, absent from service, absent from the commitment, absent from the duty that God has called them to. Any successful team, if it is going to be successful, is made up of more than one or two or a handful of people. The Atlanta Braves are experiencing success now because they developed a vital farm club system to bring up young talent from underneath. You cannot come up with enough money to hire the Fred McGriffs of this world to build a ball club. You have to raise up talent from within your organization and bring them up young and train them how you want to train them so that one day they can take their place on the field. It's not one pitcher, it's not one power hitter, it's not one relief pitcher, it's everybody on the team understanding their position and trying to develop their talents and their abilities to the best so that they can be used by God. Now for a church to be successful, everyone has to find a position to play. Nobody can afford to sit on the bench 
and wait their turn. Not when we are considered the body of Christ and all the parts of the body need to be functioning. Jesus said, I did not come to be served, but to serve. And he gave us an example and he said, you are to emulate the example that I have set for you. It is not natural, it is not easy, but it is commanded of us that we do this. And so I want to talk about developing a servant heart. How do we develop a servant heart? First of all, there are two things that have to happen. If you're going to develop a servant heart, it's the necessary ingredient for a winning team in a church. You have to understand that you have a call to serve. There is a call to serve. You and I have been called to serve, not just the ordained staff, not just clergy, but every person called of God to salvation is also called of God to service. You and I have been called, and we need to answer that call. I like what Stuart Briscoe said. He said, I have discovered that nine times out of ten, the people who feel they haven't had a call have no idea what the call is that they haven't had. If you don't know what it is, how do you know you haven't had it? There are three things about that call to serve. First of all, we have been called to serve the Lord. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 9 is the text. You don't need to turn there. Let me just read you a portion of that verse. It says, You turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. You are called, first of all, to serve the Lord. Turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Here's what happened. You and I were walking down a road of our own accord, doing our own thing, walking in the paths we chose to walk in. God got our attention and we turned around, metanoio, the Greek word repent. We had a change of direction and we turned to God. Now it's significant that Paul says when we turn to God, we turned from idols. He did not say we turned from idols to God. We turned to God from idols. You see, when we got a glimpse of God and we got a glimpse of what Jesus Christ had done for us, the idols were no longer appealing. No longer did they arrest our attention. Our attention was focused on Christ and so it made a difference in our service, in our attitude, in our commitment, in our priorities, in our desire to serve the Lord. All service is serving the Lord. But not only is it a call to serve the Lord, it's a call to serve the church. Paul says in Galatians 5.13, you are called to freedom, brethren, but only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Calvin said, whatever ability a faithful Christian may possess, he ought to possess it for his fellow believers, and he ought to make his own interest subservient to the well-being of the church. He says to serve with love one another. That means that everything we do, we do out of a motive of our love for the church and our love for one another, which is an outgrowth of our love for the Lord Jesus Christ. We never have a problem loving other people when we see Jesus in them and when we love them the way Jesus loved them and Jesus loved all kinds of unlovely people. He says that if you want to serve the church, you do it out of a basis of love, and when you love one another, you will be willing to serve one another. 
But not only that, there is a service to the world. For Paul writes to the church at Philippi, and he begins to compare for them the attitude of Timothy to some others that they are familiar with. And he says, they all seek after their own interest, not those of Christ Jesus. But you know Timothy's proven worth, that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel. The call to serve is a call to serve the Lord. It is a call to serve in His church by serving one another and helping one another. And it is a call to serve the world by the furtherance of the gospel. We have a privileged position, a position of being a servant of Jesus Christ. Paul's favorite name for himself was not the great apostle. His favorite name for himself was that he was a bondservant of Jesus Christ. We have a privileged position, but we have an incredible responsibility. A servant heart is vital if we're going to do evangelism the way God wants us to do it. Not just hanging hides on the wall and trying to count numbers and noses, but caring about the people who are lost and bound for eternity without Christ. It is required of us to have a servant heart if we are going to have a credible witness in a selfish world. You and I are called to serve. And by that, I'm not talking about a way of doing a few things. I'm talking about a way of life. Acts chapter 13 is our text. Turn to Luke chapter 22 over just a few pages to the left. These ought to be the words that ring from our lips, and these ought to be the words that express our heart every morning when we get up. These should be the words that motivate us and drive us and give us our passion and our desire and our interest and our desire to minister to other people. Luke chapter 22 and verse 27. I am among you as one who serves. You see... I'm, I'm not hung up about being Reverend Cat or Dr. Cat or Brother Michael. I'm just Michael. And I'm among you as one who serves. I am not here, nor should I ever be here, to fulfill a personal ego trip or an agenda of my own. My goal should be when I get up every morning, I am among the people of my church as one who serves. I serve by preaching. I serve by teaching. I serve by waiting on tables. I serve by assisting. I serve by praying. I serve in a lot of capacities, but that is my role. Think of the difference it would make if every one of us got up every morning and said, my goal today... When I walk out of my house and even in my house with my wife and my children or with my husband or with my roommate or whoever it is, my goal today is to be among you as one who serves. Can you imagine how much harmony and unity and love and the Spirit of Christ would be present in our lives if we would underline that verse and say, when I die, I want people to say of me, he was one who was among us. That served. I tell you, you will be a rare breed in this world. 
Because this world is selfish and dog-eat-dog and get whatever you can get. And if you will be among people as one who serves, you will do the most to exemplify the life of Christ. I'm here to do, Lord, whatever you need me to do to get the job done. Not only is it a call to serve, but it's a choice to serve. You see, you have to make the choice to have that kind of attitude. In Colossians 3, Paul said, It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. There is a Trojan horse that has slipped into the church. We think it means success and victory, but it actually means our defeat. And that Trojan horse is the Trojan horse of wanting special treatment and denying moral duty. It has come into the doors of the church and it has permeated the midst of the church in America where we want special treatment. We want to know what's in it for us. What are we going to get out of it? Demanding and wanting special treatment and yet at the same time denying our moral duty to serve man and by serving man, serving the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, for us to choose to serve, we have to choose humility over arrogance. We have to choose commitment over apathy. And we have to choose service over ambition. Tozer said, no one can long worship before the obligation to holy service becomes too strong to resist. I often sign my letters when I'm writing correspondence with 2 Corinthians 4 or 5, which says, For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as your bondservant for Jesus' sake. You see, any time I think I belong on a pedestal, I put my place in a flower, in a place where flowers and the bust of dead men belong. Anybody that puts himself on a pedestal is setting themselves up for a fall. It is a choice to serve. And the reason that I think that churches don't have people who serve is because pastors and staff have forgotten how to serve. We don't have the servant heart. We don't have the servant spirit. Not willing to go the second mile. Not willing to work to the point of exhaustion. Not willing to give ourselves for the cause of Christ. The church has become too comfortable. And the preachers have become too comfortable. And staffs have become too comfortable. And we must move out of our comfort zone and become servants for Jesus' sake. And not only is there the developing of that, but there is a committing of yourself to a servant heart. I've discovered something. The world is full of willing workers. Those who are willing to work and those who are willing to watch others do it. A.B. Simpson said, Not many rivers flow into the sea. Most rivers run into other rivers. The best workers are not those who demand a separate sphere of influence and prestige for themselves but are those who are content to empty their streams of blessing into other rivers. It is a commitment of yourself to a servant attitude. You see, we talk about it. We talk about what needs to happen in the church. And you can get in a Sunday school class or a Sunday school fellowship or in the hallways and you can talk to people from other churches in town and they think their church needs to do this and these others think their church needs to do that and you think our church needs to do this. And, and we got a lot of people talking about what needs to be done. 
The truth of the matter is, when all is said and done, more will have been said than done. And that is the problem. We love to talk about what we need to do, but rarely do we step up to the plate and do what God has called us to do. We need to quit saying we're going to do it, and we need to start doing it. We need to have the commitment of our lives to service. God's plan is for us to serve. The church has seemingly ad, uh, adapted the mentality, if it's worth doing for God, it's worth doing poorly or with as little as possible. We need to have a commitment of service. We don't need to be a church that has great potential. We need to be a church that is doing it. Potential means you ain't done it yet. There are a lot of athletes that have great potential that never live up to it because they will not discipline themselves. They will not exercise self-discipline and self-control to harness the talent and the abilities and the gifts that God has given them physically. And the potential of the church lies on an ash heap because we refuse to harness all our gifts and our abilities and discipline ourselves and commit ourselves to a servant's heart. Can I tell you something that you need to understand? There is work for Jesus that only you can do. I can't do what you can do. There is work for Jesus that only you can do. And if you don't do it, it won't get done. Thirdly, there's the applying of a servant heart to your position. Now I want to ask you to take out that card again. We're not going to fill it out yet, but I want you to look at it again. We're going to look at it three times. We looked at it earlier in the hour. We're going to look at it again. I want you to see the positions there. Now, while you're looking at that, I want you to maybe jot down some numbers. You may want to just kind of get this to get an idea of where we're going and why this is so important. Our total Sunday school enrollment when we began today was 2,961. Probably by the end of today, it'll be around 2,975, somewhere around in that ballpark. Of that number, 1,163 are in preschool through high school. 1,798 are in college through senior adult. Now, 39% of our enrollment is in preschool through youth. But 48% of our attendance is in preschool through youth. Nearly 50% of our church is in the age group under 18. That's pretty startling, isn't it? Now, what that means is, what I'm going to give you now are just the statistics of what we need for adults. And you can begin to multiply that by preschool and by children and by youth and by all the other ministries that we have. Between the 8 o'clock Sunday school and the 9.20 Sunday school, we have 25 departments. We have 44 classes with an enrollment in those 44 classes of 1,798. 
Now we already have department directors in most of those departments and we already have teachers so we've got about 25 directors and adults and we've got 44 classes, we've got about 44 teachers, most of our classes are filled. For us to do what we need to do and for us to be the kind of church that we need to be, that means we need 25 department outreach leaders who take the responsibility in that department to discover prospects, to visit prospects, to every time somebody comes, they get a visit. We need 25 department prayer leaders. If you'll remember in February when we had the prayer rally, I said to you that one of the things that needs to happen in our prayer ministry is we need to have the prayer ministry running all the way through the Sunday school. That means a department prayer leader is responsible to keep the department aware of prayer needs, to keep a list going, and to share answered prayers so that everybody in Bible study is thinking about the needs of people that need to be prayed for. So we need 25 in the department. We need 25 department care leaders. Now these are people who make sure that the class care leaders do their job and they're in charge of seeing that the overall needs of the department are met. What we have done and what is killing us is we have put it on the director and the teacher to do everything. And I can tell you from listening to the directors and the teachers, they're tired of it. They're tired of doing everybody else's job. They're tired of working and working to study so that you can come and sit and never take a name, never take a card, never take a prayer card, never make a phone call, never show up to visit. And they can't keep doing what they're doing. They just can't do it. So for us to do what we've got to do, we've got to have 25 department outreach leaders, 25 department prayer leaders, and 25 department care leaders. Now that makes how many? Seventy-five. We may have seven adult departments that have an outreach leader that's functioning. So we take seven off the seventy-five and you still get the picture, we're short. Now, to have care group leaders in every class, that is a care group leader and a prayer leader that is responsible for a one-to-eight ratio. We're not going to ask anybody to contact seventy-five people a week but a one-to-eight ratio. For every eight people on roll, we have a care group leader. For every eight people on roll, we have a prayer group leader of that care group that is a subgroup inside the Sunday school class. We need for 44 care group leaders in classes, 44 prayer group leaders in classes, but then we need care group leaders, that one-to-eight ratio. That's 224 care group leaders just in the adult area. Now, let me just give you the pencil on that. That is between department workers and class workers and care group leaders. That's 387 people with a job in Sunday school, and only about 75 or 80 of those jobs are filled right now. That means that today, along with these that have already signed up with these cards that are along the front, there are going to have to be hundreds of you who quit sitting and start serving. You have got to take a job. Say, well, I don't know what I can do. Do you have a telephone? Can you write? Can you talk? Do you like people? then you can serve. We can find something for you to do. Someone has said, when you want something you've never had, 
You've got to do something you have never done. Now, this card is real clear, and it's real simple. We're not going to fill it out right now. We're going to come back to it at the end. But if you'll notice the far left-hand column, you've got home plate, that's reaching. You've got first base, that's caring. Second base is teaching. Third base is training. The pitcher, that's preaching, and the prayer ministry is the pitcher's man. And that's praying out there to the side. The shortstop is worship. And the outfield is reaching. Now, home plate and the outfield are reaching. Let me remind you that the infield is what we do when we get them into church. That's church stuff. The outfield is what we do to impact the community. What we do in left field and in center field and in right field are down in the bottom box where we talk about community impact by music and drama and television or education by seminars that we do and Bible conferences that we do and what we do with Sherwood Christian Academy and the Crisis Pregnancy Center or sports, outdoor recreation. We are moving and our staff team is working to develop a recreation outreach strategy for using our Family Life Center. Those of you that were here when it was built, you know the criticism. Sherwood is a country club. They're building a building for themselves. Well, if it was ever built for that reason, to use my grandpa's English, it ain't no more. It is for us to use it to get people inside that building so that we can have an opportunity to share with them the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, it's for us. We get to use it. But we use it in mind. How can we use it as a tool to get our people from work and in our neighborhood to come in and be a part of something? And we're using that facility, the most expensive facility we have on this campus, not for us to go and entertain ourselves but for us to find ways to touch people who say, you got a gym, I can shoot basketball, you got weights I can work out. You see, you got friends that are paying every month to go down and work out with weights. And they don't go but about once a month. They could come once a month with you here. No more than they're going there. We do aerobics, we do all kind of things. There's all kind of ways that you can reach people. Sports leagues, all kind of things that you can do to touch lives. What we're doing is saying you're going to choose one, two, three, whatever your priorities. And I don't check every one of them because you're not interested in every one of them. Your highest priority, then number two, then maybe number three. Primarily what you need to do is where you're gifted, where you're talented, and where you feel led to serve. Then you come over here to the next column, and you don't circle reaching or caring or teaching. At the end, you're going to circle that I want to be an outreach leader, or I want to be a support group leader, or I want to be a decision counselor, or I want to work in extended session. You're going to circle the job either that you are doing or would be interested in doing. Now, it is required of you to put your name on this card or it won't do us any good. <laughs> and your phone number and the Sunday school class that you're in. Now, do you understand what I'm saying? I'm saying that just in the adult area, we need 300-plus new people to go to work. That means that we don't have any more time to sit, soak, and sour. We've got to sit and soak up and then go to work and serve. And everybody needs to take a job. This is not an area that you're interested in attending. So I say, oh, I'm interested in attending mission studies. No, we're talking about quit attending mission studies and start doing missions in this community.
That's what we're talking about. We're not talking about learning. We're talking about doing. We will teach you here how to do it, but you've got to get out and do it. Learning and doing are two different things. It's the application of what you learn. All these areas listed here before you. Now, let's talk about applying it. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep. I go back to that verse and I realize that David was a soldier and he was a king and he was a statesman. But Luke decided to say he was a servant. And you know, David was a servant. He served his father by being a shepherd in the fields. He served his brothers by going to check on them when they were at war with Goliath and with the Philistines. He served Saul even though Saul hated him. He served the nation of Israel and he served God. David was a servant. And you and I must understand that future generations cannot serve us and the past generations cannot help us. The time is now and the task before us is to be done now. And the magnitude of the task before us is phenomenal. But the ministry opportunities are unique. And they are before us. But one will say, permit me first to go and bury my father. But he said to him, allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. And another will say, I will follow you, Lord, but first permit me to say goodbye to those at home. But Jesus said to him, no one after putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. David served the purpose of God in his own generation. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. Paul called himself a servant. What will they call you? Walter Reese, in describing the culture in which we live, says, I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. Not enough of God to explode my soul or disturb my sleep but enough of God to equal a cup of warm milk or a snooze in the sunshine. I don't want enough of God to make me love a black man or pick beets with a migrant worker. I want ecstasy, not transformation. I want the warmth of the womb, not a new birth. I want a pound of the eternal in a paper sack. I would like to buy just three dollars worth of God, please. You see, we want enough to just get by. Now, I cannot begin to mention to you or to share with you the number of people in this church that I believe are stepping up to the plate and doing their duty. I believe every Sunday school teacher that puts time into their lesson and comes prepared to teach that lesson and to teach the Word of God is doing their duty. It's too numerous for us to name them. I believe that everyone that works in extended session is doing their duty, trying to fulfill a task to do their work for God. I believe that those who are directors and serve in other areas are doing their work for God. Those who work and volunteer at the Crisis Pregnancy Center. Those who volunteer at the Family Life Center. Those who volunteer and give half their day in the offices to serve in the morning or the afternoon. They answer the phone so that our secretaries can put out more work during the week because someone else is answering the phone. Do you realize that our phone rings almost 100 times a day here? And you thought all we did was show up on Sundays. Almost 100 times a day, that telephone rings. 
Somebody's got to be there to answer it, and people volunteer to do those things. I'm talking about people who use their gifts and their abilities and who volunteer and who serve. But I want to mention a couple. When I started thinking about this lesson, I thought about Charles Thompson. Charles Thompson is a, uh, a deacon, and he is 90 years old. He is a member of First Baptist Church in Ada, Oklahoma. He's still there counting the money every week. He's been the church treasurer for 67 years. And he's there every week. Takes up the money on Wednesday night, and buddy, you don't pay, you don't eat with Charles Thompson. I'm going to tell you right now. I think about Howard Cleaver, who this year will go to his 44th consecutive youth camp at Sagamore Hill Baptist Church. Now, either Howard Cleaver is insane, or he has a heart for young people. But I want to talk about some people here. And I will not name them all, and I will leave some out, and for that I regret that, but I think it's worth mentioning a few. It's people like Walter Merritt who go out and clean off the mission property, all 26 acres of underbrush, and set out a line and burn off the underbrush, and never expects to get paid for it, never expects to be reimbursed in any way, just does it, because that property represents this church and he wants it to look right. It's people like Tommy Martin who serves after having cancer as a finance chairman and gives his time. It's people like Pat Bean who's had cancer and yet she organizes the shut-ins of this church to make sure that they are visited. Although she could sit back and say, hey, I've been sick, wait on me. It's people like Tom Sanders who gives six or eight hours a week serving as a treasurer of this church so that things can be done right. It's people like Luke McDaniel and Sam Smith who have built desks and cabinets and all kinds of stuff and all they've ever charged us is for the material. They have saved us hundreds of dollars in the time that they give to this church. It's people like Willard Johnson who will be 84 years old this year that every week when you go to Wednesday night supper, he's taking up the money and he's taking up the tickets. He didn't say at 65, I've done my duty for God and country. He said, I'm going to serve as long as I can get up there. It's people like that. It's people like Melanie Siski, who's got a little girl that has physical handicaps and disabilities, and yet every time I seem to walk in the doors of this church, she's at the copy machine. She's doing something so that seven or eight or nine hundred other kids can have a vacation Bible school and can have material for them, and she never complains about it. What I'm talking about is people who give and give and give and give and give and you don't even know about it. Why? Because they don't try to parade themselves nor do they gripe about all they have to do. They have done their duty. They have served this church. And I'm going to tell you something. You can't hire enough staff members to replace people like that. I'm talking about people who make a difference, who are doing something for God. Ron Dormany is our chairman of the deacons. There is never a time when I ask him to do something that he is not willing to do it. He's up here at least one day a week doing something. When he's given a job, he just goes and does it. Say, are they heroes? No. But yes. 
because it's so rare to even find anybody that will do their duty today that when somebody does their duty, they look abnormal to us. I'm talking about people who are making a difference. I'm talking about the kind of people that are making this church the kind of church it is. And think what would happen if 400 more joined them. Think of what we would be. Well, we don't want to do that, preacher. We'd have to build a building. Bless God, we'd have the people to build it. That prayer chapel that you used was built by volunteer labor. It was drawn up by a man who was dying of cancer. And in his last months of his life, he drew up the plans for that chapel. And it was built with hands of love by senior adult men who could have said, I'm too old. I don't need to get on that ladder. I don't need to serve. I could fall. I could hurt myself. But they were out there working and nailing and hammering and measuring. Why? Because somebody had a crazy idea that we ought to have a prayer chapel. And so they did it. I'm talking about people who have stepped up to the plate. And they're in the Hall of Fame as far as I'm concerned. Education says, be resourceful and expand yourself. Psychology says, be confident and assert yourself. The flesh peddlers say, be sensuous and enjoy yourself. Materialism says, be satisfied and please yourself. Ego says, be superior and promote yourself. The fitness gurus say, be fit and discipline yourself. Jesus says, be a servant and give yourself away. David served the purpose of God in his generation. And then he fell asleep. What's the result? I'll tell you what the result is. You're either going to serve God or you're not going to serve God, but one day you're going to fall asleep. That word fall asleep is a Hebrew euphemism. It means David served the purposes of God in his generation, and then he dropped dead. We've got too many workless workers in a world of work, and we need more workers. David fell asleep. It's implied in saying that he fell asleep that he woke up. We know that to be true because Paul tells us that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so David woke up after having been a man after God's own heart. He woke up and had heard, I'm sure, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the kingdom. You're going to fall asleep. And you're going to wake up in the presence of Jesus. And Jesus is going to say to you, eyeball to eyeball, the magnified, glorified, resurrected, exalted, ascended Christ in all His glory is going to look you in the eyes and say, when I was on earth, see my hands? I came to serve. What did you do when you were on earth? Oh, I just made sure I had my stuff together. I made sure that I had my house and my cars and my clothes and my education. I made sure that I had all the things that made me look successful. I made sure that I got my needs met. I made sure that I climbed the ladder in my business. I made sure that I was a corporate success. I made sure that my family was the best dressed. I made sure of all those things. But did you come to serve Him? Because you and I are going to fall asleep and when we close our eyes in this life, we're going to wake up in the other life and we're going to look the Lord Jesus Christ face to face and He's going to say, I came not to be served, but to serve. What did you do when you were on earth?
And for some of us, we will bow our heads in shame. And we will escape, as Paul says, as by fire, because we will have no works that follow us to heaven. I'm going to tell you, some of the people that I mentioned to you are going to have far greater crowns and far greater rewards in heaven than I will because they don't have to do it. I'm called of God and I'm paid by this church to pastor this church. I'd do it if you didn't pay me. Now, don't stop. <laughs> but I would do it if you didn't pay me. But I'm going to tell you something. All those folks get is in eternity. We're probably not going to name any buildings after them or memorialize them in any way. The pay in this life is not going to be much, but their retirement benefits are out of this world. And they're going to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. You know why? Because when they had health situations and business obligations and family responsibilities and other things that could have made them say, I just can't, I won't, I will not, don't ask me. They keep coming back and saying, we'll do it again. We'll serve again. There's an old country store. I had an employee named Eddie. And if you've ever worked in a business, you've had an Eddie. Eddie was one of those guys that took five hours to do a 15-minute job. You know, he wasn't ever going to be in a hurry. He just kind of moved at a snail's pace. You know, he's just going to, he's going to get there as slow as he can. He's going to do as little as he can. And, and Eddie wasn't worth much. One day a customer came in the store and said, Where's Eddie? Is he sick? The old country store owner said, Nope, Eddie ain't here no more. And the customer said, Well, did you hire somebody to take his place? The store owner said, Nope, Eddie didn't leave no place to take. I think it would be sad to live your life with the potential to be a servant of God and fulfill the purpose of God in your generation and to be significantly used of God to fulfill the Great Commission. I think it would be sad for you to die and us to roll your casket down in front of one of these funeral homes or down in front of this church. And when you're gone, we don't need anybody to take your place because you didn't do anything that required a place to be taken. I'm going to tell you something. We've lost some people in the four and a half years I've been here that it took four or five or six people to take their place. We've lost some people that have been transferred out and moved to other cities and moved away from here. Quite honestly, we still haven't found enough people to take their place. Some of them came in here and were here for nine months to a year to two years. And they did more in the two years. They were members here. A lot of them, Marines and wives of Marines, were, did more for the cause of Christ in this church in the two years they were here than some people that have been members of this church for 30 years. Shame, shame, shame. You going to be Eddie? Or are you going to be like David? who serve the purpose of God in his own generation. Our time is now, folks. The appointed hour is now. The destiny before us is now. And we can't wait for the next generation to do it, and we can't depend on what the past generation did. We've got to do our job and our task now. 
Now, would you take that card out again? And I want to walk you through it. And I want to ask you, wherever you're willing to serve, if it's at home plate, first base, second, third, pitcher, shortstop, or outfield, and if you check home plates, you may also check outfield as a number one because you're involved in that. A lot of the things in the outfield are special events. They're not year-round kind of things. I want to ask you just a number, one, two, or three. Don't number all of them because you're not going to be able to do all of them. The purpose is to give everybody a job, not everybody take ten jobs. Now, after you've done that, go over here to this side and circle whichever ones apply to what you're interested in, whether it's a visitation team or precept leadership or to be a class or division or a department, intercessory prayer leader, uh, to pray during Sunday morning, during the worship services, to serve in the choir, to work security, to be an extended session worker, to work at uh, Crisis Pregnancy Center, to volunteer at the Family Life Center, whatever it might be. All these cards down here represent people who have already signed up. They put their name and their phone number in their Sunday school class. Now in July, here's what we're going to do. On Sunday nights in July, the staff and others are going to begin to process these cards from now until the first part of July. And we're going to take these cards and divide them up in groups. We're going to put everybody's name on the board. We're going to have a huge board up, and everybody that's signed up, we're going to put their name, whether they've signed up for one or two or three positions, whatever it might be. Now, somebody said between the two services, you know, there's some folks not here. I guess they just don't want to serve. The funny thing is, with the cards, we know who doesn't want to serve. <laughs> so if you don't turn one in, that's okay. We'll know because we know the role. So we're going to know everybody that's willing to serve and everybody that's not willing to serve. Guess what? You're either going to step up to the plate or you're going to drop the bat, suck your thumb, and go home. Because we are going to know. We're going to know who's working. So we're going to take these, we're going to put them on the board, we're going to begin to find out, okay, we may have too many first basemen. We need to leverage some of them over and ask them to help us in another area. Maybe that you're signed up for three or four areas. We're going to have to come back and say, we just need you to do two. And these are the two we really need you to do. And so we're going to begin to talk to you. And we're going to try to train you. Folks, this is not a quick and easy fix. It will take us three years to get up to full speed operation with this. Three years. But in the next 90 days you're going to begin to see some of the foundation laid and a little bit of the structure going up. And all along in the process, you're going to see how this ball diamond is being filled out. And before long, well, you're going to be able to walk up and down the hall and you're going to be able to say to somebody, I'm a first baseman. I'm a third baseman. I'm a shortstop. I'm in the outfield. I'm at home plate. I pitch. He said, well, I just can't do much. Listen, if everybody will do a little, we'll get a lot done. Now, what we're talking about is just to staff for where we are now. Do you realize that last Sunday we had about nine people join our church? That means we've got to have one new person to work with those people. Every time people join, we've got to add our number of workers. Every time our classes get to a certain size, we've got to start new classes. We've got to start new departments. We have to get new care groups. It's a never-ending process. But I want to tell you something. I believe, with God as my witness, I believe that the end result of this is going to be better than the Atlanta Braves winning 15,000 pennants. 
Because I believe what we're doing is going to make a difference in eternity. And I think the devil is going to take notice of it. And I think he's going to fight us at every turn. And I think he's going to get some people disgruntled. And I think he's going to get some people being critical. And you just keep going and you play your position. Listen, never listen to the guy in the outfield that didn't pay the price to get an infield seat telling you how to play the outfield. You just play the outfield and let him yell. Don't even dignify him by turning around. You keep on going. You know where I'm going? I'm going with the winners. Anybody that wants to win can go with me. But those who want to whine and those who want to complain, however few they might be, will never even get the acknowledgement of me turning around to look them in the face. Because I'm going with people who want to make a difference. God bless you if you do it. God bless you if you don't, because God will judge you based on what you do. Now, here's the invitation. Last week, we didn't give an invitation. We had seven people join. <laughs> had staff at the back doors. We didn't give an invitation in the early service this morning. We had two people join. We're going to baptize one of them tonight. I don't know. I may have hit on something. Just <laughs> quit giving invitations. Uh, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to ask uh, Tom. I'm going to ask you to go to that back door back there. And uh, Steve, I'm going to ask you to stand at this door right here. And Tony, I'm going to ask you to go to that back door back there. When these men, y'all go ahead and move right now. When these men move, you will see who they are. If you'd like to join this church by transfer of letter, if you'd like to join this church by being a part of it, by coming to know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, Tom will be back there. Tony will be back there. Jonathan, won't you come and stand right over here down on this end for a minute? Okay? If... If you want to make a decision to join this church this morning, you can find one of these staff men, and they'll be glad to direct you to a counselor who will help you to know how you can make that decision. Now, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. We're going to move in sections this morning. Mark's going to begin to play. The choir's going to begin to sing. They're passing their cards in because they're leading us in this invitation. But I'm going to ask this section right here and the balcony to stand up right now if you're going to serve and to come and place your card down here. If you're in the balcony or if you're in this section, and then just to go back to your seat, and we'll conclude the service in a moment. But if you're in this section or in the balcony, I want you to get up from where you are and fill your card out, mark it down, lay it down on this altar. And in just a moment, we're going to let this section go, and then we're going to let these two sections go in just a moment. But first, we're going to let these people come down. This is your invitation to be part of the excitement of worship every week at this time at Sherwood Baptist Church, located at 2201 Whispering Pines Road in Albany.